Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, September 8th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tommy on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, I mentioned this yesterday. We are going to start off our bi-monthly, which is twice a month, not every other month because it could go both ways. Patreon exclusive episodes with you and me. We are going to do our first ever mailbag, which I know a lot of podcasts do. They're very popular. We've never done it before, but I'm excited about this. So if you are a member of our Patreon and you have a question that you want to ask us, I will have a separate post by the time you hear this. It will already come out. You can respond to that. I will also give you some information. If you don't want to make it public, you can send it to my email address. And we will answer questions about shows, about, I guess, anything pop culture. If you want to ask Grace about restaurant and bar uh, type places, either in the theater district or around New York, anything like that is fair game. Of course, as I said the other day, we will spill some tea when we are able to spill, spill tea, and that might be based on your questions. We don't know, but uh, we can't always spill all the tea, but if we can, we will. So if you've got questions um, about things that might be coming, or if you have any questions about our thoughts about shows, if you're trying to plan a trip, please feel free to let us know. Look for the post in Patreon with all of the information on how you can post your questions. And then that Q&A episode will come out next week. Grace, anything that you are especially hoping that people ask you a question about? No, I am more afraid of questions than I am hopeful about them. So I am very eager and excited and fearful. So I can't wait. Okay. I promise that we will filter out any um, bad questions. I get asked so. a lot of weird stuff, Matt. But you know what? That's the joy of the pod. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you're you're an influencer too. So I'm sure you get a lot of random questions uh, on the socials as well. Yeah. All right, Grace, let's get into the news. And as somebody who watched almost every episode of the TV show Nashville before it really went off the airs after Connie Britton, uh, spoiler alert, died on the show, um, this was very interesting to me because there is a new musical in the works, not based on Nashville, although that at one point was discussed, but instead about the Bluebird Cafe, which features quite prominently in that TV show. That is a real-life, world-renowned bar cafe coffee spot place in Nashville that has kind of become the home for up and coming singer songwriters. That is one of the early musical homes to folks like Taylor Swift, Garth Brooks, Faith Hill, and many country and pop stars over the years. And this new stage musical is being written by Something Rotten co-creator Wayne Kirkpatrick, who actually before Something Rotten was a country music songwriter, and then songwriter and producer Don Chafer. The show is just being called Bluebird, and um, it is currently in in development. No necessarily timeline on when we might hear more about this. I'm interested because, you know, when you hear something like this, Grace, you might think, oh, that's a perfect way to do a jukebox musical, bring in songs of like the different stars who started there. But with Wayne Kirkpatrick on board, this is going to be an original score. So I'm interested to see how many real life country music stars they integrate into this. This is a a show that is inspired by the Bluebird Cafe, not actually the story of the Bluebird Cafe. So I'm excited to hear what this is all about. Um, I loved Something Rotten. Didn't so much love Mrs. Doubtfire, but I'm excited to see what this one's all about, Grace, because it's one of those things where it feels like it's going to set up like a bio jukebox musical, but it seems like it's going in a very different direction. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of that. Um, I think that the last time it played was at 59 East 59th Street Songbird um, about like the Songbird Cafe. I wonder if it's kind of in similar vein. I know Kate Baldwin was in that for a while, but um, yeah, I'm not 
I'm, I'm excited about it. Obviously. Um, I love anytime there is something that is an homage to the South in a way that is positive. So there's that. And I'm curious of what influences will exist within that realm as well. Obviously I'm, I'm always going to be hypersensitive to that, but I'm, but it also makes me excited about the potential. Do you know what Wayne Kirkpatrick's biggest hit song was? No. He he's penned over 200 songs with folks like Little Big Town, Bonnie Raitt, Garth Brooks, Amy Grant. But his biggest song was the Grammy winning song that was recorded by both Eric Clapton and Babyface called Change the World. not coming to me but i bet if i heard it i you know i famously went to go see an eric clapton cover band at bb king's before it closed so um i'm not 100 sure of that song but i love when there's a spotlight on nashville singer songwriters especially songwriters that you wouldn't know their name always like immediately but when you hear their hits you know their influence and their power i went to see um is it was it glenn powell is that his name who yeah. wrote so many of no glenn powell's the actor glenn uh glenn ballard no, I'm thinking of a of another. Um, oh, I'm totally wrong. You're right. Not Glenn Powell. Monty Powell. Monty Powell wrote "Days Go By" with Keith Urban, and I got to see them perform on stage and talk about the singer songwriter relationship and all that good stuff. So that's what I was trying to think of. But this was years ago in Atlanta. Um, but yeah, it just it just reminds me of that beautiful relationship, especially in the South, with these Nashville singer songwriters um, that have really paved the way for so many of these people's careers. Yeah, I mean, and then, of course, there's Brandy Clark and Shane McAnally with Shucked on Broadway right now as well to, you know, very prominent country music writers as well. So makes sense. Lots of great storytelling in country music. So, it you know, it would, it would make sense that a musical theater piece would be in their wheelhouse. All right, let's move on to some show and casting news. We've got a couple different bits of this that I'll break them up throughout the episode. The first is the upcoming arena stage production of Swept Away, the Avett Brothers musical. Speaking of, I don't think they're technically country, but uh, much more in the pop folk vein than some other uh, songwriters that we've seen on Broadway. But their new musical, Swept Away, has announced its entire cast. We already knew many of the principals were coming back from the world premiere that happened in Berkeley Rep in 2022. We know that John Gallagher Jr., Stark Sands, Adrian Blake, Insco and Wayne Duvall were returning. Now we know that the ensemble will feature Hunter Brown, Matt DeAngelis, Toreen Everett, Cameron Johnson, Brandon Calm, Michael Manwaring, Orville Mendoza, Tyrone L. Robinson, John Seiger, and Jamari Johnson-Williams. The show will begin performances in Washington, D.C. on November 25th, and it's currently scheduled to run through December 30th. With a timetable like that, Grace, that is one of those things you're like, oh, closes up right before the holidays. Plenty of time for people to get a little bit of a rest before they have to uh, get back at a rehearsal for a potential Broadway run. No idea if that's going to happen. I have not heard anything official on that, but it sure seems like the way that they are scheduling this, that those are the plans because that certainly fits into a very tried and true out of town tryout schedule that we are used to seeing. It does. I haven't heard anything like on the street about um, that potential timeline. There's no current rumor about what timing looks like, but that might be because they're going to really work on this out of town at arena stage. Like it makes sense that they are doing a lot of heavy focus, obviously Stark left um, and Juliet 
for the timing mm-hmm. of these rehearsals. Um, and I'm interested to see what what is to come out of this. I really want to see it. I'm an Ava Brothers fan. I'm a I'm obviously a John Gallagher Jr. Forever stan. Um, you can listen to the episode of Tell Me on a Sunday podcast where I talked to my friend Kara about the one time we almost said hi to him. So really fascinating stuff. Um, I think. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that this is one that I think a lot of the weirdos um, in the Broadway realm, especially in the musical space, are excited about again. So I'm, I'm curious to see what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, it features direction by Tony winner Michael Mayer. It also features a book by Tony winner John Logan. So very interested to see what this one is all about when and if it eventually gets to uh, New York City. All right. I just mentioned Chuck a minute ago, and <laughs> I guess it was on I guess it would have been Wednesday night. There was a little bit of surprise over at the Nederlander Theater because a few days before her planned debut as Maisie, Isabella McCalla had to go on in the show, not yet having had a put-in rehearsal, and she went on and starred in the show, and as I have no doubt, was incredible. She made a post on uh, on her Instagram, and it's probably in other places as well. She said, quote, surprise, I made my Maisie debut in Chuck the Musical today. I'm overwhelmed by the support of the incredible company of Cobb County, absolutely exhausted after a two-show day and so full of love and gratitude. I'm back on Broadway. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See you at the Nederlander eight times a week. There's a lot of corn and heart emojis in there. She will see you at the Nederlander eight times a week. For how long remains to be seen. I mean, probably a good, you know, three to five months, um, maybe not much longer than that. So we will have to wait and see what happens with that. But All right, this is a very cool story um, that I wanted to highlight, but according to Playbill, the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts has acquired the archives of three-time Tony Award-winning writer Thomas Meehan. You know, he wrote the books for such shows as Annie, The Producers, and Hairspray. So he has all of the drafts of every major theater work that he has, as well as all of the notes that he had, programs, press clippings, contractual agreements, audio and video recordings, very cool things that that are in there as well that didn't make it to the stage. Early drafts, short stories, um, different film, TV, and theater projects that never really got off the ground. Um, It's very, very cool to be able to see this type of stuff. And the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts is it's a theater lover's dream. I have some projects kicking around in my mind that would re- require me to spend quite a bit of time at that library. So if I ever get those off the ground, I'm going to be absolutely devouring everything there. And this is just a, another very, very cool addition to the co- to, to the collection at the library. Grace, when you become a three-time Tony-winning writer like Thomas Meehan, where do you want all of your collected papers to go? I want them all to burn and the, and the <laughs> controlled fire. I need no one to read anything. Um, I, I hope, I hope my work is not, what is it? Bastardized or, you know, like Frankenstein into something else. It always freaks me out when people, I will say this about artists. It freaks me out when people pass and then people take their work and do something with it. I think it's it's really challenging and we don't really talk about it a lot. Like, for example, when Jonathan Larson passed and the way that Tick, Tick, Boom. And I know that all of these people have been so careful and loving and there have been, you know, on behalf of the family, there have been a lot of collaboration. So I'm not out here to say that anyone has done something wrong. But I just put myself in in that perspective of shoes for a second and think about like 
the writer's intentions, like if they weren't finished with that work, it's just a really challenging thought. And I, it, it, it does freak me out quite a bit. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because just earlier this week, the noted film director, Wes Anderson, was asked a question about yep. people editing Roald Dahl's books and for different projects. And Wes Anderson unequivocally said, I am not in favor of that. I don't think that should happen. And then he took it one step further in saying he doesn't think that the actual authors of their own works should be able to revise them after they are out into the world. And he gave the example of like a Van Gogh painting. Like once you see the Van Gogh painting, you, Vincent shouldn't be going back and he's dead. So he's not doing this. Obviously he shouldn't be going back and like changing what's in that picture because it is a relationship between the author and the audience and the artist and the audience. And once you have put it out in the world, it should be frozen because that interaction can change how they view things. So I think it's really interesting to hear a creator and a writer and a performer and an artist like you say that. Um, do you feel differently about that with your artwork versus your written work? Like as in like visual mediums versus like yeah, things yeah, that are auditory, art. things that are written. Yes. I think, I think the biggest, the thing that I think challenges all of these things is that with any bit of piece of medium and art, is it hurting anyone? So if you're looking at a retrospect of a piece and you're, and you're examining it under a 2023 lens and you're realizing something is particularly painful or hurtful to a marginalized group, that is different to me than going back and being like, oh, it feels like the blue could have popped a little bit more on this one. You know, like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. different. And I think that that's the conversation that I would contextualize all this within. Like Wes, like I worship the ground he walks on, unfortunately. And um, I think it was kind of, uh, it was a wild take that like once something's frozen, I for one have changed in the last 10 years, mentally, physically, emotionally. Sure. And I have learned so much more about the world we live in. And I think that all of us are constantly, hopefully becoming more progressive and progressive and we're learning and we're unlearning and we're saying we're using this new word to identify people and then we're changing that word because we've learned something more about it like we should continue to be malleable and i think that if you are still alive and you're able to do that and you're going back to your work and saying hey this is actually better suited in this phrasing versus this one if it's like not if if it's challenging something or not hurting a group of people like that makes sense to me but you know saying that something has to be frozen but if you've learned something you're not allowed to like go back screw you like that's my work you know so i think it's all it's 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 challenging you know so i mean i literally have found a joke that i said once um on stage that i went oh my god i can't believe i said that that's so sad because not to like cancel myself but just because i thought that in order to be funny I had to, you know, uh, adhere to certain like stereotypes of like women or Asian women, in fact. And like now it's it makes me so sad to be like, why did I think I had to do that? I would never do that now. But like, can you imagine if it's like, nope, that's what it is. That's who you are. Absolutely not. I don't want to be under that guise at all. So I think it's different for every person. And I could talk about this for hours and I'm sorry. Maybe that'll be a separate Patreon episode at some point. So I love that. All right. Well, let's run through some other news here real quick. Yesterday, the national tour of Town announced new cast members that'll be joining the production next month. They will begin performances on October 3rd uh, in Los Angeles. Nice place to start. The new company members will be Amaya Braganza as Eurydice. Lana Gordon as Persephone, obviously she played that part on Broadway, and Will Mann as Hermes. Matthew Patrick Quinn and J. Antonio Rodriguez will continue with the tour as Hades and Orpheus, respectively. 
All right, Greece. Um, I've got a couple recommendations here. The first, uh, the first two are just like things to listen to. The first one is, um, depending on when you're hearing this, it might be null and void. But Playbill has a first listen to a little priest, which is one of the most songs, one of the most fun songs in musical theater history. So you can listen to that. The entire cast album comes out on Friday the 8th. So depending on when you're listening to this, you might be able to hear it already. The other one, and I know this is controversial and some people won't like this, but it's it's lovely. Katarina McCrimmon doing a preview of Funny Girl doing Don't Rain on My Parade in a studio. Sounds lovely. That, that tour will begin um, on, Saturday, on Saturday in Providence, Rhode Island. And then the last thing here, Grace... Playbill has collected the top 10 list of colleges represented on Broadway during the 2022-2023 season. I want to see, I think we actually did this before, how many of the top 10 you can get. Um, Let's see if you know number one. What is number one represented on the Broadway last season? Go Blue, Michigan. No, that is number two. Someone else is number one. Boco? No. Carnegie Mel? No, a little more, a little closer to home. Oh, NYU? And NYU. Yes, not NYU, but NYU is number mm-hmm. one. Michigan is number two. You said, uh, okay, you said Carnegie Mellon. That's in there at number four. You said Boston Conservatory. That's in at number seven. Who else you got? Elon. Is Elon in there? Elon is not in there. No, um, it's down. It looks like it's an honorable mention. So maybe in like 13. <laughs> North Carolina school. Yeah, I guess Newsies is closed. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. What, uh, goodness. I mean, that I'm kind of tapped for, for guesses. So one of them, I think they have added a four-year degree program, but I think it started as a two-year program. Oh, I'm not sure. Number three is AMDA. Oh, and then five and six are like two of the big heavy hitters for like dramatic work. Do we have a Juilliard? Juilliard is sixth. Number five Ooh. is is Yale. Ugh, so that's a Yale. big one. You win again, Yale. Yep. Um, number eight is the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. Number nine is Pace University. Pace. And number, yeah, and number 10 is Northwestern. Um, some other ones oh. that were honorable mentions were London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, Penn State, then your Elon, um, and then Syracuse University. So a lot of the heavy hitters in there. And it's cool because they have a list of everybody who was on Broadway uh, from that school. The list for NYU is unbelievable. Like it is as long as like Michigan, AMDA, and Carnegie mm-hmm. Mellon combined. So it really I'm also is curious, bonkers. Is it just people that are on stage? Is not including people yes. in the wings or in the creative rooms. It's just people on stage. Yes, for uh, it is every, that list. At, I am more interested in. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it, they looked at every actor who performed in a Broadway show from May fifth, twenty twenty two, to April twenty seventh, twenty twenty three, which is the totality of the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three season. Do you want to know what list I want? And I'm curious if we could do this. Um, I want a list of people that did not complete degrees or go to college. That's fascinating. That's uh, that's honestly fascinating because we hear so much about people who don't go to school at all. um, But we don't talk nearly as much about people who go to school and either leave because it's not for them or leave because they get a gig and never go back because they don't have to. Yeah, I do think the idea of trying to figure out what people didn't go to college at all, what people went to college for something other than performing arts, and then what people left in the middle for whatever reason. I think that's interesting because we talk so much about, you know, especially 
with people in high school, everything is about that college audition. You got to get into the right school. You have to find, you know, this and that. There's a lot of other ways to get to where you want to be uh, in the theater community in whatever capacity that is. And you know that. I mean, you've been around long enough. Yeah. And I certainly don't have a degree, but I think that um, I think it'd be interesting to note if if those factors, because we, we obviously are talking about the schools that make big waves and, and you know, whenever audition or, you know, casting or whoever sees on someone's resume this school or whatever, mm-hmm. there is a little bit of, you know, sure. um, who, you know, there. But I'm curious if the percentage of people that have completed degrees, the percentage of people that went to school for a time and then dropped out and then the percentage of people that simply never did. So I, I really would like to know those things because I think that there's just this unfortunate like barrier to entry of people thinking, if I don't have the financial infrastructure to go to NYU or one of these big schools, could I ever make my dreams come true in this capacity in professional theater? And maybe there's a lot of case to say that like, no, maybe if you take a bunch of you know, online courses or master classes, or if you can, you know, it, there's just other options out there. We're in a place now because of social media that it's, it's more prevalent now than it ever has been that you can make something of your career and life without those degrees. Um, but there is a lot of merit to those degrees. I'm just curious as to, you know, the anthropological standpoint of, of the state of nation for uh, theater in general. Yeah, I think it's fascinating, but maybe that'll be another Patreon episode. We've got two, we've got two ideas on the back burner. Uh, for Patreon episodes that we can do. That'll be uh, interesting deep dives into things. That is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW. Matt, Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on all forms of social media at It's Grace Aki. Don't forget if you are a member of our Patreon or if you would like to become one, there is a post up now asking you to submit questions for our first ever Patreon exclusive mailbag. We want to hear from you. I promise any questions that are not worthy well first off don't send any awkward weird questions but any questions grace that i know that might put you into an uncomfortable professional situation which um which listeners might not know uh, i will make sure that we don't address those or maybe i will address them exclusively but if you have questions about shows suggestions recommendations restaurants places to eat anything like that please feel free to let us know we will look forward to talking about all of that next week have a great weekend and we'll talk to you on monday